The views expressed in this interview are those of the individuals and do not reflect the official policy or position of the U.S. government, the Department of Defense, the U.S. Navy, or the Naval Postgraduate School. Welcome to the Trident Room, brewer of stout conversation, unfiltered and on tap. On today's episode, Trident Room host Luke Gorski sits down with Dr. Jeff Hoffman. Hello and welcome to the Triton Root Podcast. I'm Luke Gorski, and today I'm joined by Dr. Jeff Hoffman. Dr. Hoffman is a Director of Research Computing within the Information Technology and Communications Services Office, better known for all you MPS folks as ITACs, here at MPS. His team runs the Hamming and Grace supercomputers on campus, and they recently deployed the TMG Core Edgebox computing platform for a five-month evaluation period. We're going to be discussing supercomputing efforts here at MPS, as well as how supercomputing can be leveraged by the DoD as a whole. Dr. Hofferman, thank you very much for joining me today, and welcome to Training Room Podcast. Uh, thank you, Luke, for having me. So before we dive into uh, you know, supercomputing and what's going on here at MPS, can you just give our listeners maybe a little bit of a background on you, how you ended up here in beautiful Monterey, California? Sure. So my uh, undergraduate degree was in mathematics uh, from the University of Chicago, and then uh, I, I actually worked for a while in Chicago at the Chicago Board of Trade, which I, it was a mathematical uh, kind of background. And working at the Chicago Board of Trade, I got very interested in working with, the, this was a time where scientists were just starting to explore financial markets. And uh, that motivated me to go back to school and, and really get a better understanding of computing because I thought, uh, seeing physicists and engineers working in the financial markets, it uh, it was quite eye-opening in terms of what people could do with with that kind of mathematical and, and computer background. So I decided to go back to school and get advanced degrees in mechanical engineering. So I did that at the University of Iowa. Uh, went on to do a postdoc at NASA Goddard outside of Washington, D.C. And I was working in the area of what's... Uh, called satellite remote sensing. So uh, uh, I think people at NPS may be familiar with that. It, it can be used for, for a variety of things, but the way that uh, I was applying it at, at NASA was for weather forecasting. So oh, okay. mm-hmm. really just uh, kind of thing that you see on the television news where every night they're showing, here's the, the satellite satellite imagery. We have, we have people here at NR- NPS that that are doing satellite remote sensing. That was kind of my my background, and uh, there was a job at Fleet Numerical, which is just down the, the road here in, mm-hmm. in Monterey, and that's the Navy Weather Central. Right. Mm-hmm. So, so I had all this education. I uh, didn't really know what I was going to do with it, uh, but but I got into the satellite remote sensing area, and I just happened to be looking at at jobs. Uh, for uh, seeing what area can I get into with, with all this, uh-huh. this background. And Fleet Numerical was looking for people that had a background in satellite remote sensing. And uh, I'd been through Monterey before, and I said, well, it's, there's a job uh, in an, an area that's not too bad to live in. No, and not so, at all. So that's, that's uh, back in 2000, I'm sorry, that was 1997. There we so, go. So you've been here for a while. Almost a quarter century now in, in Monterey. And uh, so that's where I started my career, nine, nine years at, at Fleet Numerical. Mm-hmm. And uh, then in 2006, moved here to NPS. Uh, at that time, 
the provost and the, the CIO. So Leonard Ferrari was the provost at that time, and uh, the late uh, Dr. Christine Hoska was the CIO. And they were looking for, uh, they wanted to get supercomputing back at NPS. So NPS has kind of had an up and down history with, with supercomputing um, going back to the 60s. Oh, uh, yeah. One of the first supercomputers in, in uh, sort of in the, in the country was deployed at NPS and it was designed by Seymour Cray. So NPS had, had that and then it went away and then a decade later got supercomputing again. And so it's kind of gone up and down and up and down. But a uh, decision was made back in, in the early part of 2000s, let's get supercomputing back at NPS. So they did a recruitment and uh, I had a background in that area. So I applied for it and was hired and that's, that's kind of how I got here. Well, it's great that you're you're here, and it sounds like you know we're definitely on that upswing with supercomputing as it goes with here at MPS. So you know, great foresight by some of the MPS faculty and staff back then to get it started now, so that we're in the position where we are now, where you guys are experimenting with a lot of new and interesting different applications for uh, supercomputing. Um, so, kind of as we start breaking into that, I think that you know, supercomputing is something that gets a lot of headlines, kind of a buzzword, things like that. Um, what would in the simplest terms, you know, I'm a poli-sci kind of guy, so uh, some of the more numbers nerdy stuff doesn't resonate as well with me. What, what's kind of a, a good tagline for, for supercomputing that you would say the general public can get? Well, it, it's, it's, uh, it's changed a little bit over the, the past few decades. It used to be, it, 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 at some point, it was just... Uh, you get a processor, a CPU, because so every everybody, whether you're poli sci or whether mm -hmm. you're, you're, it's your uh, grandparents or uh, parents. Um, sometimes it's our kids that are the, the oh, yeah. wizards, but there. but everybody's using computers and cell phones and mm -hmm. and uh, so it used to just be a supercomputer was something that you'd go out and buy. And it would have a very very fast processor. It would have a faster processor than, than what you'd have for your home computer. That's still true to some extent, but nowadays it's more just buying lots of processors. So if you go out to Best Buy or, or Amazon or wherever you're buying your desktop, laptop computer from, uh, you you know, people talk about cores. Oh, I have a quad-core computer, or I have two cores, or something like that. But it's usually just a, a single, what they call CPU, central processing unit, that you'll have in your desktop or laptop machine. Our supercomputer here at NPS, and any place where they talk about supercomputing, sometimes they use the word high-performance computing, mm -hmm. or the acronym HPC, that's synonymous, really. Supercomputing, okay. high-performance computing, same thing. But what we're doing nowadays is we're just taking the same type of processors, for the most part, that you have in your, your home or school system, and we're just getting lots of those. So, mm -hmm. so our Hamming supercomputer here, for example, uh, we've got uh, somewhere in the neighborhood of... 4,000 cores. So is that kind of 
4,000 computers. I mean, it, it, if, it, if you looked at an average yeah. home computer, there's about 4,000 computers hooked up to each other. Yeah. It, it, you know, you might have a you might have a dual core computer or a quad core computer at at home home so it's it's maybe it, let's say that you have a a quad core mm-hmm. computer and so it, it might be like a thousand of those mm-hmm. linked up. together and so they're all linked together by by just by networking cables yes. and so that's that's part of the trick of it too so you could really think about it as okay let's just go out and buy a thousand laptops mm-hmm. and then just hook them all together mm-hmm. and try to make those laptops communicate with with one mm-hmm. another so so and people have done that they've actually gone out and, and bought laptops and linked them together yeah, I think we we have servers that we link together yeah I remember some story I think it was the Air Force that bought like a thousand ps3s That's or right. something like that exactly and threw them right. all together yep. uh, I don't mm-hmm. remember how long ago yeah the last well, decade it wasn't or so. it wasn't that long ago it was Maybe maybe a decade ago, uh, where the Air Force did exactly that. They took PlayStations, PS3s, and and linked them together. We did something similar. We we only had like three or four of them, but we did that for a project where we had uh, we had some students from the Naval Academy that wanted to learn about supercomputing, mm-hmm. and it was about a decade ago. And we went out and bought PlayStations for that that very very thing. So it was uh, an internship project. Um, so it can be done with whatever you've got available. Um, mm-hmm. The trick is getting those computers to talk to each other and sort of cooperate and, and solve uh, what we call like difficult or, or, or big problems. You know, an example would be weather forecasting is, is one that, that's, that's sort of again at Fleet Numerical, they're using supercomputers. National Weather Service uses supercomputers because it does require so much processing power. Yeah. Yeah, so I think, yeah, whenever I've, re- you know, doing a little background research on before our podcast here today, I think a lot of the examples that I read about were, did talk about um, weather forecasting. Kind of my understanding there is a reason it's really useful in weather casting is just because the extremely huge numbers of variables that then affect the other variables. And so you need these really high level performance computers to do that. Um, what are some other applications beyond that? Or what are you guys using it? Um, beyond maybe weather forecasting here at MPS? Yeah, sure. That, uh, great question. So uh, really, it, it's almost any of our uh, departments that that are doing any kind of computing will, will come to us. So it's primarily uh, GCs, which is our Graduate School of Engineering mm-hmm. and Applied Sciences. So those are what I'll call our hard sciences, our physics, mathematics, engineer, electrical engineering, uh, mechanical engineering, computer engineering. Uh, look, those schools, I'll give some examples of what they do, but then GSWAS, so Graduate School of uh, Operation and Information Sciences, so operations research, computer science, inf- uh, information sciences, they use it. We also have our... I, I, lose track now of what the 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 business school is called uh oh yeah graduate school uh-huh. of defense management, management sure. sy- systems now so we'll have to make sure we get that get that one right but it's changed so we have we have some researchers there that are that are using it so um and i know you're in national security affairs mm-hmm. we haven't had in a while we haven't had anybody from there 
come directly to us, but I know we've had some people in national security fairs that have been working with the information sciences department. There's been right. some collaboration that's gone on on there, um, and I know we've had we've had them uh, working with us over the years. So I'll give I'll give some examples yeah, in all all those different areas because that's one of the things that's made uh, what. Um, I do and what my team does, it, it's made it a little bit challenging because we don't have just one customer. We have customers from all these departments and they all have different applications. So in, in GCs, uh, that, that is more of our traditional weather forecasting in the meteorology department. The oceanography department is doing uh, things like oceanographic modeling, so they're maybe looking at like modeling of wave heights, or polar ice prediction is another thing that that they're doing for the for the Intel guy here. Uh, sound propagation to find some submarines. There, there <laughs> you go. That that is being done a, as well, um, and uh, so acoustic modeling. There's a a lot of acoustic modeling, and uh, that's going on now. And I'll give a. He, this is a really interesting inter interdisciplinary thing that's going on is we have people in the oceanography department that are working with people in the physics department that are working with people in the computer science department that are working with MBARI, which is the Monterey Bay Aquarium Research Institute, which is up uh -huh. in, in Moss Landing. So that's sort of the, the academic side of the Monterey Bay Aquarium. So they have some, and you know, this is all public domain info. They've got, in, if you were to go out and do a web search, you can find out about this, but they have sensors deployed in the, the Monterey Bay, mm -hmm. and they're listening for marine mammals. They have these acoustic monitoring stations set up, and they're listening for whales mm -hmm. is, an, is an example. But any, any kind of sound that's in the bay, sometimes it's, uh, I know they've uh, done things that are even, uh, I, I think that uh, fishermen can use uh, explosive devices to, you know, get, get seals out of the, the area, you know, we're trying to fish here. And, uh -huh. and, and so I know they have to be licensed uh, to do that, but I know that that's one thing that can. So they can monitor to make sure the fishermen are all on the up and up whenever they're doing those. Yeah. Things and, uh, and see how often this happens. And uh, so I don't, I, I know a, just, I have just to know enough. a little bit about all the type of work. I don't get into it deep, mm -hmm. but I know enough about it so I can try to, uh, accommodate the work that they're doing. But so this is a really interesting example where we've got several researchers. We've got an outside entity, Ambari, uh, mm -hmm. Monterey Bay Aquarium Research Institute, because they've deployed these sensors. Then we've got researchers here that are trying to apply their skill set to it. So the, the, uh, the oceanography researchers are, they, They've done some models, of the acoustic modeling. The physicists, they're, they've done things with uh, signal analysis. So they do all of their, they can take these, uh, uh, they can actually just look at the, the data sets and they can actually analyze, oh, here's a little spike. So 
they have models that can say, okay, when we, we see a little spike, mm-hmm. something happened there. That's an event that we need to, to look at. But there's so much of this data, terabytes and terabytes of data, uh-huh. uh, that they have to figure out, you know, signal versus noise. Right. You know, when is it, when are we looking at noise? When do we have a signal? And we've got our computer science people who are doing artificial intelligence, which they're trying to apply models to it. So, again, there's so much data there that we've got the physicists trying to pull out the signal and then the, the computer scientists trying to put AI techniques to it to say, okay, well, this is a, this is a whale or this is a, an explosion or this is a boat going mm-hmm. by. So we've got all these people that are, are working on this problem together. So it, it's kind of like that's, that's just every kind of everything coming to, together. Uh, you know, all kinds of researchers working on one one particular problem. Yeah, so I guess then my kind of follow-up to that would be, when exactly or how does the supercomputing actually integrate into that? Is it kind of, I don't know, stovepiped is probably not even kind of the right word to use, but are like the oceanography guys running their model and then with the use of the supercomputer, right? Like they go and, is the model being built by the supercomputer or aided? What exactly... S- so yeah, great question. What what typically happens, and you know, there's there's a number of moving pieces here, but uh, uh, there is there. First of all, there's like the, the just the data piece and the data acquisition. So they've got they've got those sensors, and I don't know a lot about what happens between the sensor gathering the data and then transmitting it here. To me, that's sort of a black box. But at some point, we've got a data feed. So the data is just coming in, and it's just like if you're if you're downloading uh, information, a yeah, song downloading or a movie, podcast, yep, yep, to your computer. That's kind of what we're doing. They've got a, a feed out there, and we're just receiving that data, and we're we're downloading it onto the supercomputer. So it just we've got a we've got. Uh, uh, you know, these data sets are tens of terabytes or, you know, maybe in the 100 terabyte range. So, so it's a lot of, lot of data. And so there's just that, that data set mm-hmm. that's there. And then all of these different researchers, so whether the, the physicist will have, uh, they'll have their own set of programs that they're, they're running on it and doing their analysis. The oceanographers have their programs that they're running. The computer scientists will have their programs. So they've they've all kind of, sometimes they use commercial code, sometimes they build their own. And the physicists might run their program on it, the oceanographer will run theirs, the computer scientists will run theirs, and they all then will communicate. Maybe they get together and and will run their, run write a program together. But, but typically, uh, again, what, makes my job and the job of my team challenging is we have to make sure that the programs that all these people are using will actually run on the supercomputer. And sometimes they come to us and say, hey, I've got this program, I'm trying to run it, and it doesn't, it doesn't work. It's, it's just like, you know, it, it's, it's very similar to a lot of times if you get a new computer and a, program that you you used to run on your old computer doesn't mm-hmm. run anymore or you upgrade and it doesn't it doesn't run it, it's really the same thing it's just that we've got 
dozens of customers. So we have to say we have to support them. And if there's a program that isn't working, we have to look into is it is it user error? Is it is it our system? Is it the is it the computer code? Mm -hmm. So it's it's very similar in a lot of ways to what uh, you know just a, a consumer faces when they're dealing with a new program and troubleshooting and you know where where is the problem? And uh, we have the same thing. It's just on a on a different scale. Oh yeah, <laughs> that's really what it comes down to. So you got a lot of people with like programming background working for you that are trying to troubleshoot this, or is that? Yeah, usually it's the 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 end user that does the the programming for the for the most part. It'll be that physicist or that oceanographer or the computer science, and, um, and uh, the folks that work on my team. You know, we call them system administrators, but they might have a special expertise in storage or networking or um, or sometimes it is it is programming. So it's kind of have, have to have some knowledge in, in all of those mm -hmm. areas. So then as this data is coming in from these uh, these sensors out in Monterey Bay, um, how how much are the is this like live analysis done versus the store up 10 terabytes of data and then you run these algorithms on it yeah is it yeah great question so so uh they tend to be not uh we get the we get the data you know fairly i'll call it fresh but it isn't like instantaneous mm -hmm. live but they tend to be analyzing them retrospectively so right. we get the data and it's there, and they can analyze it, and then they can go back and analyze it again and again and again and over mm -hmm. and over. Um, but, uh, you know, I think every researcher is different. Some of our researchers are analyzing uh, what I'll call, like, historical data, mm -hmm. but with the eye toward being able to analyze real-time data. Okay. And... So, uh, you know, I'll give a, uh, you know, another kind of to shift gears and talk about some some of the other applications. Yeah. But but there's some there's similarity in, in a lot of this. It's just the, the underlying data set. So we have the we have this acoustic work that's going mm -hmm. on from the Monterey Bay. I think the goal would be to be able to analyze it in real time. You know, this artificial intelligence boom, you, there's, a, there's a signal and we'd have a program running that would say, okay, that is, that's a, a whale or, or that's an explosion or that's a ship and be able to do it in real time. And in order to do that, you have to really look at historical data mm -hmm. and go through it and, and, and create these models. So kind of dig on, dig on that for a minute. Um, so as they're running all these different models and simulations on the data that comes in, um, you know, supercomputing resources are limited, right? So is the eventual goal or is there a potential for once they figure out, okay, we figured out how all these things work, how this code works, these programs work together. So now we don't need as much processing power as we did when we were designing things. Is that, yeah, yeah. does that happen? Yeah, ab absolutely. So especially now in the, you know, I can kind of jump into like the area of artificial intelligence a little bit. Um, the idea, you know, just kind of artificial intelligence 101, 
um, if you've ever gone on to, well, Google is a, a common one, but uh, doing like an image search. So if you show Google a photo, what it does is it will it will attempt to tell you what that's a photo. So if you show it a photo of a of a bird, it might say eagle. This is this is an eagle. Mm -hmm. So uh, the way that that usually happens in artificial intelligence, there's something um, done that's called training. So you're actually taking a computer and you're training it to recognize it. So what happens is, let's say I've got uh, a thousand pictures of, uh, well, or whatever number, 10,000, 100,000 uh, pictures of birds, and, and I've identified each one. Okay, this is, a, this is an eagle, this is a robin, this is a cardinal. Uh, so uh, the, the computer models actually go through and they, they look at each image like pixel by pixel by pixel, and 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 uh, uh, they use what are called, you know, algorithms and uh, curve fitting and neural networks, et cetera. All of these things are kind of buzzwords, but the computers actually are given an image and said, "This is an eagle. This is a cardinal." And and so you give the computer thousands and thousands of these images, and and the the, the training process usually researchers will do something like. Okay, we've got uh, a thousand pictures of an eagle uh, or of birds, and we're going to use 80% of them to train the model with. Then we're going to withhold 20%. So the computer has never seen this mm -hmm. 20%. So we're going to train using using oh, this 80%. We're going to withhold this 20%. We we know what everything is here, and we're going to see how well we train the model by taking after we train it. We're going to take the images that we withheld and see how accurately the com does the computer get it get right. It right, mm -hmm. and that's what Google does. Just you know, with their images, and we, our researchers are doing the same type of thing here. That's how they, that's that's artific that's AI one one hundred and one. Mm -hmm. How how that works. So that whole kind of training process requires the processing capabilities that you see in supercomputers. That requires the that training process is extremely compute intensive and requires a lot of our computing resources. Once the model is trained, then it's then it's actually pretty quick. That's why you can go to you can go to Google and you can upload an image and it'll come back almost instantaneously. Mm -hmm. So that that uh, that actually uh, the that's the classification process. That can mm -hmm. be done with very little resources can be done it's done on Google servers, so but you upload an image, and Google says, "Yep, that's a, a blah blah blah." So we have researchers here that are doing that same type of thing, but they're doing it with data sets that are of interest to the DoD. So f in this case, the acoustics in the in the bay are of of interest for what it, there's a number of reasons, but uh, one reason is we want to keep ships away from from marine mammals mm -hmm. you know, there's been uh, or we don't want to be we don't be running them running into them running into is, them yes. yeah yeah thanks for joining us in the trident room for more information about today's guests and topics please visit the show notes the trident room has been brought to you by the naval postgraduate school alumni association and foundation for questions comments and suggestions please email us at tridentroompodcasthost at nps.edu. 
and find us online at nps.edu slash tridentroom.